Vinny felt neither guilt nor anxiety about what he was going to do. The only emotion he felt was impatience. He could see the marquee of the St. Mark's Theatre in the next block, and he knew the touch of evil started in eight minutes. The fat man parked his Cadillac and waddled into the candy store. Vinny crossed the street, strode past the magazine racks, and put his hand on the doorknob of the back room. He opened it very gently. The man looked up. Who the fuck are you? I'm a friend of the guy who loaned you $4,000 nine weeks ago, Finney said. The fat man's fingers curled over the top of the desk drawer and yanked it open, but Vinny lifted a foot and kicked the drawer shut. A cracking sound was heard. The fat man screamed. Vinny opened the desk drawer and found a revolver. He tucked it into his belt. Vinny reached for the stack of bills on the desk and started counting. Five hundred, he said. My friend will apply this to the interest on your loan. On Friday, he'll want all the back interest. A week from Friday, he'll want the five grand. I can't raise 5000 by then, the fat man whined. I'll tell my friend you promised, Vinny said. Vinny's beeper went off as he left the movie house. He grabbed a cab to Little Italy. He hurried into the La Boheme coffee house and stopped at a table outside the door of the back room. He waited for Cheech to press the button. Benedetto sat at a small desk. Vinny's old friend... Thomas Provenzano, now Benedetto's bagman and bookkeeper, sat at a table working at a calculator. Tommy Pro winked at Vinny. Mr. B, Vinny said, I talked to the fat man. Was he nice? He was nice for 500 after I broke his fingers. Benedetto laughed. <laughs> You're a smart boy, Vinny. You could go places if you could ever stop going to the movies. Vinny nodded gratefully. Keeping Benedetto happy was Vinny's constant worry. There were corpses planted far and wide, men who had once displeased Mr. B. Not the least of them was Vinny's father, Onofrio Calabrese. What is it with you in the movies, huh? That's kind of a hobby, you know. You're getting too old for hobbies. How old are you now, Vinny? Twenty-eight, Mr. B. Time you was making your bones. Vinny didn't speak. Sweat broke out in the small of his back. Maybe the fat man don't come through. You can uh, make your bones on him. Whatever you say, Mr. B, Vinny said. Get out of here. Vinny got out. He gave the cabbie an address in Chelsea. This thing about making his bones was beginning to weigh on him. Once he did that, he'd be a made man, a full member of the family. Benedetto would own him forever. Vinny ran up the steps of the Chelsea Brownstone. As far as Benedetto knew, Vinny lived in his dead mother's place on Bleecker Street, but his real home was three rooms in Chelsea. He unlocked the mailbox labeled Michael Vincent. Three years before, he had legally changed his name. After two years of filing tax returns, listing his occupation as freelance writer. He had obtained credit cards and charge accounts in his new name. He checked his answering machine. Michael, darling, a woman's low voice said. Dinner is at nine. Try and be early. Vinny got out of the black clothes he wore on his collection rounds. He selected a plaid tweed jacket and a pair of flannel trousers. 
He slipped into a cotton shirt and Italian loafers, and he was ready for class. He was seated in a classroom of the New York University Film School by the time the professor walked in. The class was on production budgets. Professor Waring held up a sheaf of papers. Mr. Vincent, do you really think you can shoot this film for two million six? I believe I can, Rennie replied. Just because the piece is set in New York doesn't mean it has to be shot in New York. My budget is for an Atlanta shoot with some stock street footage of New York. Across the room, a young man with curly red hair slapped his forehead. And in what areas did you achieve savings by shooting in Atlanta? Waring asked. Housing, transportation, sets, Minnie said. You're right, Mr. Vincent, Waring said. That's why you came in $800,000 under anybody else's budget. Congratulations. After class, the red-headed young man approached Vinny. I'm Chuck Parrish, he said. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? I've got 20 minutes, Vinny said, before I'm due somewhere. The waitress put coffee on the table. Chuck Parrish pulled a script from a briefcase. I'd like you to read this and cost it for me. It's a caper movie about some mafia guys who steal $2 million of their godfather's money and nearly get away with it. Who's financing? Vinny asked. I can raise 300000 Parrish said. You think that's enough? Well, that's what I want you to tell me. I'll read it and call you. Fifteen minutes later, a cab dropped Vinny at a pre-war apartment building on Fifth Avenue. He took the elevator to the top floor and opened a door with his key. In here, darling, she called. She was in bed. We have half an hour before our guests arrive, she said, smiling. Don't muss my makeup. Vinny had met Barbara Mannering at a benefit for the NYU Film School eight months before. He took her home, and they began making love in the elevator. We had been making love ever since, once or twice a week. She gave a dinner party twice a month. Vinny kissed her breast unstuck his body from hers and headed for the shower. When he came out of the bathroom, she was leafing through Chuck Parrish's script. What's this? A guy in my budgeting class asked me to cost it for him. Who's coming for dinner? Senator Harvey and his wife, Dick and Shirley Clerman, Leo and Amanda Goldman. Leo Goldman? Of Centurion Pictures? I thought you'd like that. I'll be interested to meet him, Vinny said. Everybody arrived almost at once. Vinny shook Goldman's hand, but made a point of not talking to him before dinner. It was not until after dinner that Vinny said more than two words to Goldman. Goldman initiated the exchange. I hear you're at the NYU Film School, he said. He was a balding man in his mid-forties. Part-time, Vinny replied. What's your interest in film? Production. It's where the control is. Goldman laughed. <laughs> Most people would say the director has control. Producers hire and fire directors. <laughs> You're a smart guy, Michael, Goldman said. He fished a card from his pocket. When you got something you think is good, call me. That's the private number. Vinny smiled. I'll call you when you least expect it. 
Vinny spent an hour in bed with Barbara. When he had finally exhausted her, he took the parish script into the library. He read it in an hour, then got a legal pad and started breaking it down into scenes and locations. By daylight, he had a rough production schedule and budget. What were you doing all night? Barbara asked him over eggs and bacon. Reading Parrish's script. It is very, very good. And if it's properly produced, it can make money. Well, what do you need to produce it? 650000 Vinnie replied. Parrish has already got 300000 The project interests me, Barbara said. I'll put up 200000 You come up with the rest. Vinnie worked on the production budget for two days between collecting debts for Benedetto. When he was ready, he went to see Tommy Pro. Tommy was two years older, but they had formed a friendship early. Tommy had gotten an accounting degree, passed a CPA exam, then gone to NYU Law School. I'm going to make a movie, Tommy, Vinnie said. I want to see what you think. The two young men spent three hours listing contracts to be drawn and looking for holes in Vinny's business plan. There weren't many. When Vinny was about to leave, Tommy Pro said, I know a pretty good actress who's available. Remember uh, Carol Giraldi? Sure. I haven't seen anything of her for a while. Uh, she's on the skids, uh, a junkie. I think she could still work, and she's still got a name. How do you know about this? I got a couple of pushers on the street, one of them supplying her. She owes me eight grand. If you want to, pick up her tab and I'll make you a gift of her. I'll think about that, Tommy. And, uh, thanks.